Ronald Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Corner. Llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud. Marca el Arsenal. Marca Olivier Giroud. Gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gunner Blog. Goodly morning to you. Goodly morning. How are you doing? I'm okay. Well, apart from technological nightmares, been happening. Really? I was sitting here with my brand new mixer, which is great because it's uh, eliminated that terrible noise that was bothering me so much. So I'm sitting here and I put my headphones on just before we were connecting and the mixer is, the the, the lights are flashing on it and it's going like, oh fuck, something's gone a bit weird here. You know what I'll do? I'll unplug it and turn it on again. That's the fix for everything, right? Turn it off, sure. turn it back on again, turn it off. Turned it on again, making this really strange noise. So I said, well, maybe it's where it's plugged into. So I checked a different plug. I used different power cable. Uh, nothing. It's the same. I don't know what the fuck is. It's either possessed or something has just broken. It was working fine earlier this morning. And just before we started to record, it broke. And that's annoying. I'm going with possession. You reckon? Sure, you need to get the exorcists out there, have a look at your mixer. It's very fucking annoying, though, because, I, you know, I bought it from this um, online music store. Haunted uh, music store. All haunted music store, obviously. And yeah. the thing about doing that is when something goes wrong, you get, you've got to send it all back. You can't just walk in there with it and say, hello, mate, bang this with a yeah. screwdriver, what's going on? Oi, what's happened here? You have to pack it up and I've got to send it back to, to Germany. That's going to take ages. It's going to take ages. It took ages to get here. It's one of those things. I really hate waiting for deliveries, you know, and you you order something online and you're like, oh, is it going to be today? Will it be today? Will it be tomorrow? Will it be... And then you're sort of trying to do the track a parcel thing and it tells you it's somewhere, but it's never anywhere where it's supposed to be. It's yeah, going to be yeah. even worse sending it back now. And then you inevitably you miss it. Whenever it's supposed to come, you, it's, the, it's the one hour you leave the house to yeah. try and deliver it. Yeah, yeah. Sods law. Yes, indeed. Uh, but apart from that, I think I'm okay. I'm okay. Okay, and we think the podcast is still working. We think this is going to be heard by someone somewhere eventually. Yes, yes. It is doing the recording thing. I've had to revert to my old mixer, so I can't, uh, I can't say that the sound quality is going to be pristine, certainly not the way I would like it. And, uh, of course, my new mixer had very funky, cool, fun special effects that I could put on as well, and now, now I don't have that either, so that's disappointing. Oh, sad day for everyone. It really is. I could have, you know, added some echo and some some reverb and, of course, a bit of flange. As we all know, everybody who listens to this uh, podcast enjoys a bit of flange. So, Yeah, absolutely. Well, in some ways, maybe it's better to hold off on the new mixer until after the interlow. It seems a shame to waste it on, a, on an interlow episode. I know, I know, but I had it on Friday for the, for the Arsecast on Friday. It worked perfectly, and now it's, uh. now it's not. What's happened? Why does that... Why does stuff like that go on? Why can't stuff just work? You know, it was I working know. and now it's not. But why couldn't it just stay working? It's 2016, guys. Fuck it should be straightforward. Sake. Fuck's sake. Anyway, how are you? Listen, I haven't got 
big problems like you. I'm all right. I'm I'm good. I'm back from Edinburgh. I'm in London. Yeah. I'm re- resting up. My body's done that thing. You know when you're like working for a protracted period of time and then you stop and your body suddenly informs you that you're actually ill in all sorts of ways <laughs> that you weren't aware of. Everything aches. It's amazing. Yes. Um, I'm coughing up things that I I definitely don't remember eating. I don't know where they're coming from. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting few days, but I am recuperating in some style all right well that's good that's good i'm glad you're okay that's well there you go so yeah. they, it's like uh you know wherever there's some good in the world there's some evil we're balancing yeah. out yin and yang yeah very good okay so we're uh, slap bang in the middle of an interlull oh we're right in the midst of it mm. it's this is the worst like... one of the season i think so far definitely it is the worst <laughs> one yeah. uh well it hits you like a ton of bricks doesn't it because it's like oh the season started you're excited about it even transfer deadline that comes and goes and you're sort of you know looking forward to seeing those new players in action and then they take it all away from you for what feels like an age yeah yeah because i think transfer deadline day uh it, it, it was in the middle of the interval you know it started that kept us going yeah. that kept us alive inside we didn't realize how lully the interval was uh but certainly over the course of this weekend uh, and certainly today the rest of this week anyway is going to be pretty pretty dull um so what what's the interval stories what have what's been keeping you going what's been keeping your arsenal interest up uh since deadline day maybe we should talk about deadline day should we yeah, I mean, presumably he talks about it on Friday, but I mean, let's let's have a go again. Deadline day, well, it, from an Arsenal perspective, was all about who was going to go, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. I don't think there was there was a late rumour, wasn't there, about Daniel Sturridge or something like that. But I never gave that any particular credence. It, it seemed pretty clear cut that our business was done and dusted, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting anybody at all to come in on uh, on deadline day. Uh, and of course, we had uh, we had a couple of departures in the in the uh, in the day itself, and and the days leading up to it. So, um, who, who, who should we talk about first? What about Serge Gnabry? Yeah, let's talk about him. I because, my, go on, go on. You know, no, well, well, it was just interesting, wasn't it? Because when Joel Campbell went out on loan to Sporting, the sort of received wisdom was that well, this was to make room for Gnabry. You know, it kind of was one in, one out kind of mm. thing. And then suddenly, within a a week or two, he's off as well, and not on loan, but a permanent deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought what Arsene Wenger said was quite interesting and maybe quite pointed when you look back on it now. Mm, exactly, um, I agree with you. You know, he was asked very specifically about Serge Gnabry and what he wanted to do, and he said, I want to keep him here. You know, we, we've uh, sent him out on loan, we've stood by him through his injuries, etc., etc. You know, it's time for him to, to make his mark here. I'm paraphrasing, but that was essentially what he was saying. And then, like a week later, Serge Gnabry is is being sold in a strange, weird deal to to Werder Bremen. Um, I know they've said that nobody else is involved, but uh, I believe Honigstein, Raphael Honigstein, was hinting that there might be some Bayern Munich involvement in in this deal. Whether there's an agreement between Bremen and Bayern to you know give them first option, perhaps on Gnabry, I don't know. But my my sense is that with only a year left on his contract, Arsenal would have been keen to renew. Uh, certainly from what Arsene Wenger was saying, he he wanted to do that. And the reason that he was sold was, I guess, and I am only guessing, is that he pretty much flat out refused to sign a new deal with Arsenal. Yeah, it seems that way. And when you're right, when you look back at Arsenal's comments about how the club has stood by him, you wonder if those were the sort of, that was the last roll of the dice in the contract negotiations, yeah. you know, to try and persuade Nabry to, 
I, I change my mind about if he's called Nabri or Gnabry every time I say it, to be honest. So, so just forgive me that inconsistency. I'm making that up as I go along. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I think uh, I think Bayern must be involved. There were so many stories about, oh, the per- it's a permanent deal with Bayern, but he's going on loan to Werder, and the player's father talking about Bayern's interest. And then suddenly Werder insisted, oh, no, 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 it's just us. I... Mm. I'm very dubious. I suspect there probably is some sort of first option arrangement or I don't know how these things work. But um, it's disappointing in some respects, isn't it? Because I think Arsene's right. We have stood by him through not just a a host of injury problems, but also a a very disappointing spell at West Brom where he really made no impact at all on the first team. I mean, that may be partly Tony Pulis' fault. Okay, yeah, no, hang on. Let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. Why would would it be... Tony Pulis as well. I know he's not a very popular man among Arsenal fans, and he's certainly not my favourite man. Uh, but I, you know, he's a football manager, and his job is to get results, right? And if he felt that Serge Gnabry was useful to him to get results and to win points, I'm pretty sure he would have played him. I don't think Tony Pulis took Serge Gnabry on loan just to fuck with Arsenal or just to make his life difficult because he doesn't like Arsene Wenger or there's a bit of history there between between him and Arsenal. He took him because he's obviously a talented player or he could see that he was a talented player and he thought that he might be useful for West Brom. So, yeah. I mean, I, 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 Arsene Wenger said something around the time that it wasn't going well and I think he said, I hope he's working hard enough, something like that. Yeah, that was a pointed comment, wasn't there? Yeah, that it was kind of up to him to force his way into Tony Pulis's reckoning. And I know he's a he's got his own style, but you know, I don't believe in in this sort of conspiracy that he was just, you know, fucking around with with Gnabry because he doesn't like Arsenal. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever to me. Oh no, I didn't necessarily mean in that respect. I wondered if slightly because of the way his teams play, sure. know, did, okay, it, yeah, is yeah. it harder to accommodate a, a, a guy who is fundamentally a, a flair player? But you're right. I remember Arsene Wenger making comments about uh, the player's application, and I remember thinking, "Oh, that that doesn't sound great." You know, yeah. he was sort of very. He was encouraging him to sort of knuckle down, essentially, at West Brom. Yeah, and that that makes you wonder about the reports he had heard back. Um, but then, obviously, you know, took the Olympic tournament by storm this summer and and obviously as well prior to his his big knee injuries made a really big impact when he first broke into the side as a 17 year old um it looked so 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 promising Uh, i mean obviously a, a player of considerable promise and disappointing to lose him having invested this long in his development i guess for him he just feels that he now that he is finally fit he wants to play first team football right away yeah, I mean, I can understand that. I can understand that. Um, and it is a bit of a shame that a player uh, who looked exciting, who looked like um, he could really make an impact uh, and, and his career went a bit went a bit sideways, you know. Um, but when it comes right down to it, he hasn't played a first-team game or hasn't started a game of first-team football for for over two years, two and a half years. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Here's the quote from Arsene Wenger. Um, he said, uh, Arsene Wenger said, "I have heard that Tony Pulis is not happy with him. Uh, he has to change his opinion." He's talking about Gnabry changing the opinion of Pulis because I think he has the quality to pre- to play in the Premier League, and it's good that he faces this type of challenge to change Tony Pulis's mind. And I hope he is putting the effort in. I think there's probably something to that. Yeah, it sounds that way. Doesn't yeah. It? Yeah, you know. So I mean, look, we're we're losing a player who had the potential to 
probably be a, a pretty good player, but we're not actually losing anything tangible from the team either. We're not losing a player who made a big, big contribution over the last number of years. So it is, on one hand, disappointing. On the other hand, it's like, oh, you know, we've we've seen plenty of those players before who've been and gone, who looked like they could be a big thing and then ultimately weren't. So, you know, what I hope it, he does well. But The, the German J. Emanuel Thomas. <laughs> yeah, perhaps there's a touch of that to it, you know? There I, is a touch I, of that. Yeah, who knows? I mean, he might, he's already kind of achieved more than Emmanuel Thomas did, I guess, at, at, you know, at senior level with Arsenal, with his country. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens because, you know, everybody raves about the player and the Arsenal was clearly a huge, huge fan. But, uh, yeah, it hasn't quite gone his way. Yeah. And I guess that, that desire for first-team football is is probably... Uh, what pushed the other two late exits out, Callum Chambers and, and Jack Wilshire? Yeah, I, I think Callum Chambers was more... From the manager's initiative? Yeah, I, I would have thought that that was more one where we were quite prepared to let him go because he really, really needs first-team football. I, You know, you do wonder if Chambers would have stayed around if he'd been, I won't say allowed, but, you know, if, if that opportunity was there. Like, for example, if Matthew Debushi had gone, then maybe Chambers would have stayed as backup right back. But, you know, certainly I can see from Chambers' point of view, I think Borough is a good move. He's going to play for a manager who was a, a centre-half himself. So, yeah. you know, th- there's a good opportunity to learn there. There's a good opportunity to to break into the Middlesbrough team and stay there if he plays well. And I think that then might give Arsene Wenger something to think about, you know, if he, if he manages to do that. Because it, it seems clear that he does have doubts about him. I think so. I think so. And I think that, you know, the kind of mistakes he's making are the kind that can only really be ironed out by playing time. I don't think we can afford him that at Arsenal in terms of, you know, we can't afford him to make those mistakes on the field. And having brought in Mustafi for such big money and with Gabriel not too far away now and holding him pressing too, let's not forget, it's yeah. difficult to see those chances coming up at centre-half. So I think the, the Chambers to Middlesbrough alone is a, a sensible move, one that makes... You know, makes a lot of sense for everyone. Mm. Okay, so what about the Jack Wilshire loan? Were you surprised? Well, we I think we talked about it a week ago. You know, I think yeah. uh, uh, we were talking about possible surprise departures, and I I raised the possibility, and we both kind of thought that there wouldn't, having you know, finally got so many midfield options available, we'd be surprised if Arsenal let one go. Mm. It, it seems as if this is one that's come from the player, right? That the player has pushed for this move. Yeah. That's certainly my interpretation of how it's gone down. And seems to have been um, provoked is not the right word, but it's come off the back of not being included in the England squad. Yeah, that certainly seems to have been a catalyst, doesn't it? Yeah. Does that worry you? Does that, you know... is a, that A, a little bit. That, that the pri- not the priority, but that he put so much stock in in uh, in playing for England. And look, I can understand why he wants to play for his country. I think every player does, and it, it, it must hurt not to be included in the England squad. But surely your reaction to that would be, well, I'm going I'm to work harder, I'm going to train harder, I'm going to play as well as I can for Arsenal. And if I do that, you know, being in a, at a club that's playing in Champions League football, etc., etc., I'll, I'll get my chance again for for England. But it seems to have been... Okay, I'm not in the England squad. Shit, yeah, I need to. I need to play. I need to play in order to get into the England squad, which mm. I I find that dynamic a little bit odd. 
Well, the funny thing is, I mean, you know, far bit for me to praise the Sam Allardyce decision, but as an Arsenal fan, when Jack Wilshere was still, you know, an Arsenal player, although I appreciate he still is in, in some capacity, um, when Wilshere wasn't named in that England squad, I actually thought that was the right move, really. I don't think that he has done enough over the last few months to warrant selection for his international side. And I, and I think that this, this constant uh, thing of throwing him into the England team when he's barely played a minute of club football is actually probably quite unhelpful to him. Yeah. Um, I think he needs, he needs a run of form and he needs a run of games with his club side before he can contemplate playing for his country. So when that initially happened, I was like, well, that seems reasonable. That seems smart enough. Obviously, he didn't take it that way because it does seem to have precipitated this desire to go out on loan. I mean, you know, something I said about Gnabry a second ago is now that he's finally fit, he wants to play as many minutes as possible. And I think the same thing probably applies to Wilshire. And he may be looking at the Arsenal squad and thinking, well, I don't fancy my chances here. And that, and that might seem absurd. But back in April, I saw an interview with Wilshire where he was saying, you know, uh, when I am getting on the pitch, it's as a wide player and I, I view myself as a central midfielder. And maybe mm. he's looking at that middle of the park and thinking, the games I am going to get are going even not going to be in my f- strongest position on the flanks. If I want to make a case for myself as a central midfielder, maybe I've got to go elsewhere to do that. So what do you think? I mean, how much of it is, OK, look, I, I'm going to play regularly in central midfield and show Arsene Wenger and show the world what I can do when I'm played in my mm. favourite position? Or how much of it is like a touch of defeatism that he's looking at the squad and thinking, well, I can't force my way into this squad ahead of Coquelin or ahead of Elneny or Xhaka or Ramsey or Cazorla. You know, I, that the, the thing about Wilshire um, that always struck me is that he is a bit of a fighter. He is a guy who's got like a real sparky attitude and he doesn't and self-belief. Seem, yeah, exactly. He doesn't seem like a guy who would who would give up. And I don't mean to suggest that he's given up on his Arsenal career, but it just struck me that this was sort of like an easy option to take a step down, a step backwards, which is what this is, like it uh, or or not, whatever way you want to dress it up, going from Arsenal to Bournemouth is a step backwards. It might be good for him. In the long term, we might look back at this and say, okay, he's taken a step backwards to take two forwards, whatever it might be. But in the in the very here and now, it's a step backwards to go from Arsenal to to Bournemouth and, you know, not being able to play Champions League football. You know, mm-hmm. will will the stature of, of a club have an impact on what Sam Allardyce thinks? As England manager, okay, well, he's doing it, but he's only doing it for Bournemouth. You know, that kind of way. Well, Whereas if you're, doing it, yeah. if you're doing it for Arsenal, then then it's a, it's, a, it's a different prospect. I mean, I really thought that he would... Certainly, Arsene Wenger would say, well, no, you can't go on loan. Wait until January. If you haven't managed to force your way back into the team by January, then let's discuss our options. And maybe a short-term loan till the end of the season somewhere else would be a good way for you to, uh, you know, to, to get some minutes under your belt. Yeah, I mean, or similarly... Perhaps he, the the arrangement could have been for the first half of the season, you know, and uh, with a, a view to reconsider the situation in January. But it is a full season loan with no break clause, as far as I understand it, because yeah. Bournemouth paying the entirety of his wages and a, a significant loan fee too. So I, I wonder if doubts about his own fitness are involved in this maybe. You know, if you think of your Jack Wilshire at the start of the season, do you maybe think, well, I might only be fit for a third of the games. Mm. And I need to know that when I am fit, 
I'm going to be picked. Because his problem at Arsenal is, you know, he, he might not be picked every week, and when he is eventually picked, the chances of him actually being available to play are actually diminished. Whereas at Bournemouth, he knows if he's fit to play, he will be in that starting eleven. Yeah. I, I wonder if that's a consideration, but that would be worrying in itself because it would imply that he's having doubts about his own his own body at such a young age, you know? Well, I mean, you, you wouldn't blame him. I think no, it will be interesting to see what kind of a fitness record uh, he has at Bournemouth. You know, some people will say, you know, is that something we can take a lesson from? If he stays fit at Bournemouth, is it, a, you know, a reflection on Arsenal or is it just good luck? Um, maybe the fact that he won't have to play European football that you don't have the the extra uh, weight. Well, you know what is it? Fucking six or eight games over the course of a season. It's not a huge amount either. Um, yeah, look, I, I I think he's he's obviously looked at it in a way um, where he's he knows he's got to stay fit. He has to stay fit first and foremost. That's got to be his first priority this season is is maintaining a level of fitness and then being able to couple that level of fitness with regular football. I mean, he could stay fit for the season for Arsenal and be very much a bit part player and still not achieve, you know, that match fitness, the sharpness that you need to play your best football. You need to be in the team week in, week out, don't you? You know, if you want to play uh, your best football. So maybe it is a way of going and saying, look, if I play every week, this is what I can do. Uh, but there's very much, uh, there's a lot of pressure on him now if he does stay fit to perform to a level where people say, oh, shit, yeah, that's what Jack Wilshire can do. That's what he's about. You know, if he doesn't perform or if he doesn't quite hit those heights, then where is he? I don't know. I, I mean, know. he has taken a step backwards, and sometimes it's very difficult to, to take that step forward again. That, well, that very often it can mean, okay, you've decided that your career trajectory has changed, that this is the level that you feel comfortable at or where you're going to play. So, Well, how, how many players at Arsenal have gone out on loan as a senior pro? Mm -hmm. I mean, Jack Walsh has been out on loan before to Bolton, let's not forget, but, yeah, but he was what, 18? circumstance. Exactly. Aaron Ramsey went on loan to Cardiff and Nottingham Forest, but that was as part of rehabilitation from a, a long-term injury. I mean, <laughs> arguably, so is this for Jack. But how many players have gone out over the age of, let's say, 22, 23, on loan from Arsenal, come back and and made it? I, I'm struggling to think. Coquelin you know? is, is the only one, and the only reason it happened is because we had this huge injury crisis in midfield, which Wilshire was a part of, of course, and he came back and played regularly and, and impressed enough to earn himself a long-term contract uh, with Arsenal. But that's the only one I can think of. Carl Jenkinson is at the club right now because he was injured for West Ham. Mm -hmm. You know, he was sent out as a senior pro. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult um to be sure, uh, I think Wilshire circumstances are a little bit, uh, a little bit special, a little bit different because of a the talent and potential that he's had uh, over the years, and, and b of course because of the injury crises crises uh, that that he's uh, that he's suffered as well. So I think there's, it's a, it's a little bit different, but it really does feel like uh, a make or break move at this point. That if he doesn't do very well for Bournemouth. Does he then come back and get a new deal at Arsenal? I don't know. I mean, how long has he got to go on his contract? Two years. Two years. I mean, that means 
that means that come the end of this season, he'll be a year away from expiry. That's a very precarious position to be in, isn't it? Mm. I mean, yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is make or break. And I guess, you know, we talk about of someone with self-confidence, someone who's always had that kind of courage, that appetite for the fight. Maybe he's backing himself in this gamble to come through yeah. and prove himself. I mean, so we've talked about it from Wilshire's point of view. Um, but what about from the manager's point of view? Are you surprised that Arsene's acceded to his demands, that he's let him go? A, a little bit, but, you know, he's very much uh, a manager who, if a player isn't 100% or fully committed... Yeah. He will be prepared to let him go because you look at what happened with Joel Campbell and he wanted to keep Joel Campbell, but Joel Campbell asked to go out on loan. And Arsene Wenger said, okay, if you want to go on loan, you can go on loan. Like yeah. if Mesut Ozil came to him and said, I want to go on loan, he wouldn't let him. So no. it, it, it's to do with his perception of the player and how valuable he sees the player. And I think you can read something into the fact that Arsene Wenger has allowed Jack Wilshere to go on loan. Because when it comes right down to it, when you're a manager, and when you're a manager of a team that has suffered a lot of injuries, um, when you're the manager of a, a team that is under huge pressure, and he, of course, is under huge pressure to deliver for Arsenal, you do not let players leave the club who you feel can be useful to you over the course of a season. That if you feel like this player is somebody who can help you win points and win games, you don't let them go. So I think that that's the other side of this, that we have to look at it from from that side. That, yeah. you know, Wenger uh, has looked at his options and deemed Jack Wilshire expendable to this squad at this moment in time. And on the one hand, that might have, uh, that might reflect on the, the quality and depth of the squad, but it also reflects on Jack Wilshire and what the manager thinks of Jack Wilshire because he could easily, easily have said, no, you're not going on loan. You're an Arsenal player. You're fit again. You've had a preseason. Work your way back into this team. Show me that you've got the fight and the character to work your way back into this team and make me pick you every week. He could have done that, but he well, didn't. Because it's not as if he's not involved Wilshire at all in the opening few games he's been on the bench and i think he's yeah. uh as he he came off the bench in both the they? games uh, both against the games. well yeah against Watford and against Leicester right. he didn't he didn't come off the bench the first day because uh the two injuries we picked up uh Ramsey and uh Iwobi uh, left us a little bit short in terms of uh tactical uh, substitutions. Fine, but he got 18 minutes at Leicester and 21 minutes at Watford. So it's not as if, you know, it's not a Joel Campbell situation necessarily where he'd been a bit frozen out or underutilised. Arsene was clearly trying to involve him and make yeah. him part of his plans, um, but not sufficiently to satisfy the player. I think what you say is really interesting about effectively he's been deemed not surplus to requirements, but not integral, not necessary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in this season of all seasons, you know, people are talking about it could be Arsenal's last year. He's spent big in the transfer market. He wants to load up his squad to make sure he's got the best chance possible of landing some silverware. And and ultimately, whether it is his last year or not, he knows he's got a lot to prove this year. He knows he's got a point to make if he wants to stay on, really. Yeah. Um, the fact that he doesn't deem Wilshire essential for that, I think is very telling and is... You know, it just tells you about how, how far the player's fallen, really. And, yeah. and uh, obviously, that's there's no joy in that for us. That's uh, 
that's a sad thing because it is so much down to his fitness problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know, he's got a chance. He does have a chance. I don't think the door is completely closed by any means, uh, but it really depends on how fit he stays and how well he plays for Bournemouth. Um, and then you you assess at the end of this season what what you do with him. Then, I mean, he has the chance if he can if he can stay fit and if he plays well, then he can he can keep banging on the Arsenal door. But if he has further injury problems or if he fails to really impress despite playing regularly, I think that might be that might be the end for Jack Wilshere at Arsenal. So uh, it's tricky because you know it's not going to be easy playing for Bournemouth. It's it's no, going to be yeah, yeah. challenging. You know, not like playing for Arsenal where you're almost guaranteed domination of possession. You know, you're playing with players who are absolute world class in some instances on your wavelength who you know the weight of pass is perfect Bournemouth are a good side and they play good football but the the onus on Wilshire will be enormous and yeah I, I think it'd be very easy you know I, I watched Jack Wilshire play with England in the summer at the Euros and he looked very ordinary you know and, and I think uh, it's going to be a massive massive test for him mm. I guess as I said earlier, I guess he's he's backing himself here because if it does go wrong, it's very quick to see how it could uh, how it could spiral and, yeah. and spell the end for well, him. Well, look, I think you know well, the one thing we can both agree on is that we hope it does go well for him because he's had yeah. such a difficult time and the injuries have had such a profound effect on his career. You know, he's going to be twenty five in January, and you know his debut was was eight years ago, eight years ago. And we're still waiting for all the talent and the potential to to realize itself on a consistent basis. We've seen brilliant stuff from Jack Wilshire, but never on a consistent basis. So I, I hope, uh, I really do hope that it goes well for him at Bournemouth. And I hope, you know, that next summer uh, he comes back to Arsenal and, and uh, whoever the manager is uh, has, uh, has something to think about. Let's just move on from Wilshire then. There were a couple of uh, loan moves that didn't happen. Some young players went out... Um, which uh, which we're not really that worried about, but uh, a couple that didn't happen. Matthew Debushi is not gone anywhere. Um, I mean, how much of that is down to just not being able to find anyone to to take on board uh, his wages? I mean, I guess we would have sold him maybe if if uh, if the right offer had come in, but obviously nothing has. Yeah, I, I think I said uh, on here that I probably would have let him go even without an obvious other backup right back, just because. You know, Jenkinson's not miles away. And, you know, at that time, Chambers and Holding were still in the squad and could fill in. And Mustafi, of course, who we've talked about as someone who can play at right back if necessary. Yeah. Um, I I was quite keen to get shot of Debushi, to be honest with you, because I didn't really I didn't really care for the way he mouthed off last season. I thought his conduct was a bit... It's not what you want to see as a fan, really, is it? The way that he... Uh, sort of forced his way out of the club to try and play in the Euros. I wonder if now that the Euros has gone and now he's kind of fallen out of the French setup, maybe his ambitions have been curtailed accordingly. I yeah. don't know. Maybe so, I mean, what do we content. do? I mean, do we just be expedient and look at it as, OK, well, here is a guy who's a hugely experienced backup right back when Hector Bellerin's not around or if we need to rest Hector Bellerin, then then we have this, this you know, on paper, uh, a really good option if his, if his mind is right. I guess so. I guess so. And I think in the meantime, uh, you know, you're you're seeing how Jenkinson does in training when he comes back and looking for an alternative as and when Debushi does eventually go. I mean, it wouldn't mm. be a massive surprise if he went in January even. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like he's, he's certainly on borrowed time. Yeah. Arsenal. Okay. Uh, Chuba Akpom 
didn't go yeah. anywhere. Um, he's obviously banking himself to to get some some game time at Arsenal because the the way it used to work was that Championship lower league clubs could still do loan deals. Mm. Uh, after the transfer deadline, that's not the case this year. Uh, that that's changed. So any deals had to be done before the end of the window. Um, I don't know whether there were offers for him that were turned down, uh, but he's he's going to remain part of the squad. I mean, very much on the fringes of the squad, given the given the uh, the options the manager has at this moment in time. But were you surprised that he stayed? I was a bit. I mean, we know he was told back in the summer that he wouldn't be allowed to go on loan, but that was prior to the the signing of Lucas Perez, among other things. There were indications, I think, in James Olley of the Evening Standard, I think, reported that it was Arsenal's decision to keep hold of him, that the club wanted to retain him. The thing with Tuba is I think he's actually quite difficult to pitch in terms of a loan move. Like, where would you have sent him? Because he went to the Championship with Hull last season, and while they were promoted... He barely scored a league goal and, you know, didn't set the world alight there. Yeah. Um, so you're like, well, do you send him back to the championship? I mean, it's probably quite difficult to convince a Premier League club to take him and use him, given his, his lack of experience at senior level. But he's obviously got enormous promise. I do wonder if maybe they had trouble marrying him up with a suitable club where he would develop but also get opportunities to play. Um, so maybe Arsenal thinks it's best to keep him under his, his watchful eye at Colney. I think it's going to be tricky though for him you know if you think about when he's going to get games there's the capital one cup maybe but even then there are senior players who want to play in that game you know the, yeah who who be looking for a game i mean so i i worry for him slightly um he's with the england 21s this week it's it's clear he's very well thought of but his loan moves prior haven't worked out great so i don't know really what i mean what do you think do you think he's gonna get a chance at all um Unless there's an injury crisis, I don't think he's going to play very much at all, which is why I was surprised that he didn't go out on loan, even if it was back to the championship. I think he's at an age where regular first-team football is is the right thing for him to help develop him as a, develop him as a player. I'm not sure what exactly being at Arsenal, training, okay, training with some good players but not playing is is going to do for his development as a footballer. Mm. So again, it might be one of those where we look at something in in January. But I was a little bit surprised that there wasn't there wasn't a move for him before the end of of the transfer window. So yeah, or even sending him abroad. You know, I mean, if you look at players from this country who have gone on loan to Holland with some success, uh, I, I just wondered if that might be an option for him if there wasn't an obvious fit in the UK because obviously you know Arsenal have that kind of continental style and it's mm. it's much of a muchness now. Yeah. So look how are you I mean how are you feeling now at the end of the transfer window this is the squad that we have. Uh this is what we're uh, going to have to deal with at least until January. You know I I don't really see us um spending any money in January unless something uh terrible happens and and we absolutely need to. I think the investment in the squad this summer has been you know, fairly substantial. So how are you feeling about the squad now uh, as we go into the rest of the season now that the the distraction of the transfer window is, is well and truly behind us? I feel good about it. I think that, uh, you know, it was l- better late than never is basically my summary of this transfer window. And Arsenal, in the end, uh, did get most of the business done that needed doing. I think the main surprise for me, I mean, I've got our um, predictions here. Have you got them as well? Oh, yeah. 
I've got them in front of me. Shall You've I tell got them you in front. Yeah. Okay. This is when we were deciding how much was going to be uh, be spent and what our you know so called net spend was going to be, etc. So you predicted that we would make five signings for 114 million. It's not bad. Close. It's not bad at all. And six sales or six departures for 32 million. Right. Okay. Um, uh, what's the, so what's the net spend there? <laughs> it is... 14 minus 32, so... It's uh, b- 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 82. 82. 82. Yeah. Which is, actually, when you think about it, we spent 94.5. Yeah. And did we who did we sell? We sold someone, didn't we? Bellerin or uh, Gnabry. Gnabry, we sold. We sold Gnabry for about £5 million. So that takes it down to 80... Well, 89, something like that. And we got a couple of loan fees, didn't we? We don't really include them because that's not sales. Um, okay, so my, yeah, 89. So that was about f- what, four and a half million off. Not bad at all. I said um, three transfers in for 90 million. Um, and I, the, where I really got it wrong was I had seven out for 45 million. Right. The outs included for both of us were Zitsky, Arteta and Flamini. Okay. So I was 45 net spend. Right. Um, so I wasn't miles wrong on the spend, but I was miles wrong on the net spend. Were you a bit surprised that there weren't more offers for yeah. our players to, to leave? Yeah. Well, I'm also I'm surprised that more players didn't leave. To be honest. Yeah. At the start of the summer, I was convinced, not there'd be a clear out, but that there'd be several first-team players get moving for money. I mean, Walcott was certainly one who's in that bracket, but maybe Oxlade-Chamberlain, maybe Gibbs. Uh, you know, I even thought there were some doubts over over Mertzaka and Giroud at, at either extreme of the pitch. So I'm surprised that more, that more players didn't go. I guess having lost Rizitsky, Arteta and Flamini, Arsene was keen to keep hold of, you know, a core, an experienced core, and also having taken so long to bring people in. You know, had Jamie Vardy rocked up in June, maybe it would have cast more aspersions over Theo Walcott's place in the squad. Yeah. Uh, but as it was, we couldn't afford to contemplate that, and he ended up staying and playing a fair amount of football in the early part of this season. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, five, if I think you predicted five in. It's That's pretty much bang on, isn't it? Because it was... Um, you know, Shaka, Mustafi, Perez as the big three, and then Asano and Holding. Yeah. Well, there you go. I see you into go. the future. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the depth is there, certainly, uh, in, in terms of the squad. There are no missing pieces of the puzzle where we are always going, oh, we do, we're still short one or two players in key positions. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think the pieces of the puzzle are there. Mm-hmm. What's going to be very interesting is one the the quality of some of the pieces of the puzzle, like for example, Lucas Perez, who I'm excited about seeing and who I think, you know, could could really bring something to the team. We have to wait and see whether he can uh, make the step up. Um, uh, Mustafi, uh, of course, as well, a very big money signing. I wonder will the transfer fee impact on him in any way? Will he feel the pressure of that? Uh, and will he gel with uh, Lauren Koscielny? Because you've got to assume uh, that that's going to be the plan there. Um, so, you know, there are a couple of questions about the quality of some of the pieces of the puzzle uh, to a couple, some of the existing players as well. You know, Theo Walcott, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, two players uh, who are being counted on very much this season, but who were very underwhelming last season. So we have to see whether, that you know, 
uh, they can step it up and whether they can make a bit of a difference along with the new guys that come in. The other way, the other thing that um, I won't say concerns me, but that we've got to, we've yet to see is in what way the manager is going to put all these pieces together. How is he going to assemble the squad? How is he going to assemble the team? Uh, will it work? Will the partnerships, will the relationships develop in a in a significant way quite quickly? Because we need that to happen. So when you're looking at bringing in a couple of new players in key positions, uh, Xhaka and Mustafi, you know, it is about uh, gaining an understanding with your teammates and how the team plays. And they are such important positions that we need them to bed in pretty quickly. So that's going to be an interesting thing as well. Yeah, if you think about the outset of last season, uh, you know, Mertesacker and Koscielny was an established partnership. Uh, Kazola and Cochlear was a pretty established partnership that was functioning well. Yeah. We're looking at changing that up now because you're probably going to have Mustafi and Koscielny uh, and then Shaka and one other, be that Kazola or Ramsey. So there, there is an unpredictability about how this team will settle. And I guess Lucas Perez is the real wild card in this. You know, yeah. he's the one who... who I think anybody would be lying, even someone who's watched La Liga religiously, if they knew how he might settle or what kind of impact he might make at Arsenal. So that's kind of, as you say, a really exciting and interesting one. I sort of feel curiously confident in Mustafi and Xhaka. I think maybe it's because thus far our marquee purchases for those big, big sums have worked out pretty well. You know, you look at Ozil, you look at Sanchez and... I mean, I guess they're on a, another level slightly, maybe, in terms of reputation to those players when they yeah. arrived. But uh, they've been very solid for the most part. So I sort of feel very confident in those two. I'm always reassured. Arsene Wenger would hate me for this, but I'm kind of reassured by the feet. <laughs> uh, Perez, I really don't know what to expect. I, I don't even know... Yeah, I don't even know how, how integral to Wenger's plans he's going to be. I guess much of that will depend on how he sells and how he performs. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how and when he uses him and where exactly he uses him. Yeah, that too. um, Is he going to be somebody who's going to replace Giroud or augment Giroud, play with Giroud, or if Oxlade-Chamberlain and Walcott don't do it um, on the flanks, is he a potential candidate for there? So, I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see what way he sets up his squad and, and how he decides uh, to use him. And I, I don't think he's really going to know until he, he gets a good hold on these players in training. Um, you suspect he's got an idea of what he wants from, from Perez, uh, you know, having, having signed him, having made up his mind on him eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he must know where he kind of sees him in the team. But again, he, he seems a versatile player and that... At times can be a little bit, um, a little bit tricky, um, because the versatility, the versatility, uh, goes against you in a way. Like Alex Oxley Chamberlain, very versatile player, can play left and right, can play central midfield, can play behind the striker almost, uh, but has never really nailed down any one position in the team. So, yeah, that's so we'll right. See. But you're right. Like this is a window that ends, and it's not got everyone. Uh, on Twitter or in the forums or in the stands even, uh, crying out for us to go and sign that one player. I mean, a transfer window in which we bought a first-team centre-half and a first-team holding midfielder, I'd never thought I'd see the day. Mm. And, uh, you know, a centre-forward too, albeit one that we that we could, don't necessarily know that much about. So uh, all the boxes have been ticked. Yep, yep, they have. So let's see.
Let's yeah, this it is goes. it. We, you know, we we can't have a go. And spending whatever it is, ninety million quid in the transfer market. I think we've got the fourth highest net spend in the Premier League behind uh, Chelsea and the the Manchester clubs. I mean, I'm sure there'll be a few quips about us having the fourth spend, but there you go. <laughs> uh, but you know, we we we're very close to Chelsea in terms of what we spent this year, and we've we've pushed the boat out. We've yeah. done it. We've done what we are capable of doing. So now, I guess, I guess the ball is in the manager's court to to make sense of that and make it work on the pitch. Absolutely. Okay, well, look, um, we've been waffling for quite some time. So what we're going to do is take a little break here. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra, brought to you this week in association with Cornerstone. Cornerstone do shaving stuff. You get a razor with your initials engraved in it. Imagine if you had like seven first names. You'd yeah, have to have good. lots of initials. They do that for you, though, because they're good like that. But they uh, engrave your initials. They have uh, German-engineered precision razor blades, which shave you closer, then closer, then closer, then closer. Uh, they've got all the uh, shaving bombs and everything else. And all the sign-ups help support this podcast. So go to cornerstone.co.uk forward slash arseblog or use the code arseblog10 when you're signing up. You get a £10 discount and it all goes to help the podcast. cornerstone.co.uk forward slash Arsblog. I, I could do with a shave, actually. I'm a bit, a bit hairy. Are you? Yeah. I'm actually doing all right today. I'm doing all right today. But, you know, it, it keeps going back. That's the problem with it. Yeah. But you shave it off and then it goes back. That's why you need Cornerstone. That's exactly it. Tell me this. Go Who, on. Who's, who's Dave the dog? Ah, Dave the dog. That is a dog that I have been... I'm sort of dog-sitting for him at the moment. I'm sort of looking after him while his owners are away. He's a friend's dog. Oh, he looks cool. He looks a very happy dog. He's a very happy, smiley, staffy, yeah, Staffordshire Bull Terrier. And he's got a... He lives with Doreen as well, who's a Rottweiler, and she's very lovely too. And, yeah, yesterday we went to Hyde Park together in London, hanging out, throwing sticks. Had a great time. Brilliant. He looks a very, very happy dog, I have to say. He is very, very smiley. Uh, he's actually been a bit unwell recently, but he's, he's, he's on the mend, as, as his smiles will demonstrate. You're referring, of course, to my Instagram pictures that I've been sharing of this dog in yeah. a desperate attempt to get more followers. <laughs> yeah. I, I know how well dogs do on Instagram, you see. I'm this no fool. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you can't go full cat picture, you've got to go dogs. That's it. It's the next best thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to anyone who does like dogs, uh, you should follow an account called, I think it's Doggist. We just post oh, pictures. Yes, I've it's seen the it. best. He just posts pictures of dogs. I think mostly from around New York City, uh, but but certainly around America anyway. And there's a little bio, a picture of the dog, and a little bio of the dog, and it's good. So check it out if you're on Instagram, Doggist, and of course check out James's Instagram. He's <laughs> des- desperate for more followers. Yeah, please rank him up. Um, <laughs> Okay, so have you got a question? I do, but um, yeah, I do. Oh. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, this we talked about him briefly a little bit earlier, but uh, Sim at SZ underscore Gunnar wants to know, Ox, yay, or should we finally, nay, give up and replace him with a yay? Have you not lost patience yet? <laughs> uh, I mean, have I not lost patience? Somehow not quite. But I've certainly come close. And I tell you what, my expectations and aspirations for his career with Arsenal have probably dipped uh, significantly. I mean, he, he he just keeps making the same mistakes again and again. And it's 
kind of uh, maddening, isn't it? To see someone who... It's rare that you look at a footballer and their talent is so obvious and yet they have such, such difficulty translating it into tangible, positive performances. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it is, it's a very, very big season for him. Very mm. big season. He really has to. He really has to perform. He has to take a step forward because we were expecting it last season. Uh, we were expecting him to to really kick on, and instead, again, he took. I think he almost went backwards. You could make that argument. Uh, the injuries affected him, of course, uh, but uh, the, you know that, like Wilshire, that's something that that he has to get on top of. He has to stay fit. Um, because without staying fit, he's not going to play regularly. And without playing regularly, he's not going to play his best football. Uh, but, you know, there, there, there have been moments of, of good stuff this season. But uh, yeah, maybe it's a bit too early to be worried about the way he's performing. But there were some, you know, familiar signs in the last uh, couple of games where things didn't quite come off for him. And it's the same kind of stuff that didn't come off for him last season, too. So, yeah, a little bit worried. But, you know, I, I, get, I think... This is a season where he really has to make an impact because after that, he's in a situation like Wilshire as well. He's into the final two years of his contract. Come next June, he'll just have a year left. Mm. So is he playing for a new Arsenal contract or will he be happy then to use the fact that he's only got a year left to engineer a move somewhere else, knowing Arsenal you know, probably won't let him go on a free and would be more inclined to take a fee for him. So it really depends on his intentions. Um, it's a big season yeah. for him, big season. Certainly. I mean, and with just a year left on his contract as an English player, he'll probably be only worth about 50 million quid next summer. <laughs> so who knows what we'll do. But I think, uh, yeah, I mean, look, there were some encouraging signs. Let's not forget in that Liverpool match, the way he sort of came on and scored that goal, that immediate fight back to the, the Mane goal was kind of exactly what you want to see from him, right? It was direct and yeah. drove straight to the defence, made things happen. Um, that is in there, and we've all seen it in there. I think that's the reason that there is still some patience for Chamberlain in the way that maybe there isn't for certain other players in the squad, because I think the potential is apparent. And we've spoken about this before, but it seems that the, the greatest difficulty for him to overcome is a psychological one. Let's hope he can do it, and let's hope the club are doing everything they can to support him, because the way the squad's shaped up, with Campbell going and Gnabry going, he is quite an important part of it, actually, now. Yeah. I mean, the I mean, door, yeah, the door has been well and truly open for him there to, to stake a claim to a place and to, to make it his own. So yeah. it's, it's entirely down to him and how he plays. I mean, is he playing in the right position? Do you think he's, he's sort of starting left midfield? Is that where you would have him? Or? I, I don't know. That's the yeah, thing. You I've just, got no idea. I've got no idea, really. You know, you would think maybe the right-hand side would be his more natural position if he was playing, if he was playing on the flanks. Uh, again, though the manager might look at him as somebody like we saw against Liverpool, who can come inside and use his right foot uh, in an uh, in an effective way and and take more shots on goal. I mean, he's got a good shot, so I, it's just hard to know. I think it's down to him now to 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 nail down a position to say, okay, mm. this is where I'm being played. I'm going to have to perform here, and then you know we can we can make a decision or make our minds up whether it's the right place for him or not. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, I think, uh, yeah, it's obviously a massive, mm. massive year for him and Walcott, as we've said. Uh, well, listen, this is kind of a, on a similar note, and a little bit on a similar note to what we talked about in the first half, but Jeremiah, who's at Subintu on Twitter, says, considering all factors, i.e. injuries, minutes, etc., whose loan is a bigger blow to squad depth, Jack Wilshire or Joel Campbell? 
Um, I suppose in terms of just numbers or options, maybe Campbell. Mm. Um, just because we've got loads of central midfield players and we don't have loads of wide players. Yeah. Um, I, you know, with Campbell... It's, do, you think it's, they, do you think they would have loaned out Campbell if they thought Gnabry was going to go? Yeah, I, I don't know. They must have had an inkling. They, they must, must have, have known that Gnabry was a risk. prevaricating, yeah. Yeah. That that he was a potential departure. And again, you know, you could you could easily have kept him. Could mm. easily have kept Gnabry. If you loaned out Campbell on the proviso that, that Gnabry was going to take his place in the squad, mm. you could still keep Gnabry. But Wenger won't do it. He won't keep a player who doesn't want to be there, who's not fully committed. And I think when a player goes into the final year of his contract... He doesn't like that at all um, from the point of view. I, I think he feels there's a touch of self-preservation going on, mm. that, that players aren't necessarily going to be fully committed, that they won't go in for a 50-50. What if I injure myself and I you know, scupper a move uh, on a free transfer? Um, but, you know, <sighs> Campbell was, was pretty good last season, but I do wonder if there was an element of him standing out because of his work rate. Which you know is to be admired, um, but also because nobody else was much good. You know that way he was sort of like the best of a bad lot. But maybe in a in a in a brilliant season, you could look at Joel Campbell as like is he the guy who can who can make a difference? And you know I liked what he did last season. I liked that he he made a bit of a breakthrough, but. You know, there's there are so many other reasons why a manager might let a player go. You know, we don't know what, what goes on behind the scenes. We don't know what goes on on the training ground. You know, the manager sees a lot more of the players than we do. We see them for 90 minutes. He sees them for the 90 minutes. He sees them for training. He sees them, you know, on the pitch, off the pitch, what they do. So I do wonder if there was maybe something a bit more going on with Joel Campbell than, than we know about. But uh, just in terms of the question, for for pure numbers, Campbell, I think, would have been a decent option um, to have in the squad at this moment in time, but maybe offset slightly by the the capture of Lucas Perez, who could uh, feasibly play wide left or wide right yeah. if we needed if we needed cover there. So, yeah, I I think initially I agreed with you, and I just kind of thought maybe Campbell's the greater loss, but then. Uh, what you, one thing to consider is that potentially Wilshire is someone who offers you something in the middle of the park and in the wide areas. You know, he, he can play central field, but he can also play kind of out on the flanks if needs be. So he does provide cover in a number of areas. I, I, I have to say, despite despite those concerns, I still think Arsenal, as we said just before the break, have a, have a strong enough squad. Uh, across most areas now obviously I'm touching wood as I say that because yeah. uh, the injury crisis could hit at any moment although it'll probably be November judging by the way these things work <laughs> um, but yeah I, I think marginally Campbell will be more missed just because I'm not used to having a Jack Wilshire in the squad don't really know what that's like anymore well yeah exactly Wilshire made what two or three appearances last season Campbell played 30 odd games so certainly he was a guy who made a bigger contribution last season and ultimately um, you know on the basis on that basis anyway would be would be more missed uh, mm. but but Wenger is obviously hoping that uh, Walcott um, and Oxlade-Chamberlain can can fill that gap and probably Alexis 
uh, moving back to the wide positions um, when he, uh, when Giroud and, and Perez perhaps stake a claim uh, further up. And of course, we're forgetting Alex Iwobi is there, um, who yeah. I think he obviously has a lot of faith in. And the Jeff uh, has been promoted to the first team squad, not just you know for the laugh, but obviously because he sees him as somebody who can make a contribution. So uh, we, we'll see, you know, we'll be better placed to uh, make a judgment on the Campbell loan at the end of the season, I think, depending on how the, the people um, that he's brought, not to, brought to replace him, but earmarked to replace him, have performed. So, yeah. All right, here's one. Uh, yeah, it's over to me. Uh, Wenger Be Good at Turnkey Portal wants to know, what do you make of the theory that loaning Jack Wilshire to Bournemouth has to do with testing out Eddie Howe as a possible Arsene Wenger successor? Yeah, there were a lot of, a uh, few questions about this one because uh, there was a story not too long ago in a newspaper. Was it The Star? I forget, yeah. saying yeah. that Arsenal were running the rule over Howe and I think John Cross of the Mirror report a similar thing this week um well look i I mean he's incredibly well thought of eddie howe and it it wouldn't be a huge surprise if he was a name if there is any kind of list which if i'm honest i doubt (laughs) but if there is a short list i guess his name would would figure on there as someone who you'd consider interviewing i don't i certainly don't think there's anything in the idea that um you know, Jack's been sent in as a spy to uh, gauge uh, Eddie Howe's suitability for Arsenal. But I do think that the fact that Arsene has allowed him to go there indicates that he thinks he's a manager worth his salt, you know? Yeah, but I mean, Arsene Wenger would have allowed him to go to Crystal Palace if Wilshire had <laughs> made that decision. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that there's a lot to be uh, read into this at all. You know, certainly Arsenal as a football club are not putting... Um, the decision about a new manager uh, in the in the scouting hands of Jack Wilshire. You know, no. you can't imagine Wilshire coming back after the end of season, uh, after the season-long loan, sitting down with Ivan Gazidis and Stan Kroenke and, you know, well, here's my report on Eddie Howe. He is the man, or not the man, to replace Arsene Wenger. You know, I don't think that's... Uh, I don't think that's... Uh, in it's any a meeting way I would feasible. love to see, though. Gronky <laughs> and Wilshire sat down together discussing oh, managerial yeah, yeah. prospects. Can you imagine? So, no, look, I just think um, the reason it's happened is because Wilshire probably wanted to go somewhere where, you know, there was the Benicophobe thing. I think that was quite a big thing, to be honest with you, as simplistic would, as yeah, it sounds. Yeah. I mean, they are very, very, very good pals, grew up together, played together. It, it, it's not that he's going there to hang out with his mate. It's more that he's got someone there who can tell him about life at the club, you know, in, in the process of making his decision, who can sell it to him. Yeah. I think that probably probably helped swing it. It's probably yeah. in part why Roma were under consideration at one stage because of the presence of Wojciech Szczesny as well. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. And look, I think the, the style of football that Eddie Howe plays, Wilshire would be, you know, if he took some advice from... Either, either his advisors or even Arsene Wenger about the, the possible destination. You know, you, you can see that Bournemouth and Eddie Howe makes a lot of sense from a, just a football style point of view. That, you know, you're not going to go from uh, a team like Arsenal and then go and play for fucking Wimbledon, right? What's, what's the benefit of that if you're playing in a team where the style is completely different to what you're trying to get back to, you know, hopefully at Arsenal? So, yeah, you could see, you could see a lot of sense there. Um, I, I think it's a bit of a shame that that it didn't work out um, to, to go abroad. I think that might yeah. have opened uh, his horizons or expanded his horizons. But again, I think 
whatever the reasons Arsenal wouldn't deal with uh, with Roma due to a failed bid for Manolas. Um, you know, I don't think the relationship is that bad because we've obviously um, done a deal with them regarding Chesney as well. We've come to mm. a, a suitable arrangement there. Just maybe the timing of it and, and how late it was meant that those little details couldn't be ironed out. But I, I would have liked to have seen him go abroad and just see what he could have made in a, in a different league. But uh, yeah, there you go. I, I would as well. And I think... Also, he's a player who's got such affinity with Arsenal. It's sort of a bit, it's a bit odd, isn't it? Even now, he played a friendly for Bournemouth the other day. It's just a quite odd sight, isn't it? Seeing him in another Premier League shirt. I sort of probably would have preferred it if he'd uh, shunted off abroad somewhere. But yeah. Maybe he wants to be under the, the watchful eye of Sam Allardyce. You know, maybe that is a, a factor for him. Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, um,. Because I don't think Sam Allardyce gets Sky or whatever serials on. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, Daniel at Danath Joe on Twitter asks, "How much did you enjoy the Legends game? Did it make you feel funny down there when Bobby scored?" I did not see the Legends game because ah, uh, where I was in in Kerry, ah, Tralee, were you in? Or no, I was like in that? Dingle. Dingle. Ah, Dingle, that's it. Yes. Yeah, and in Dingle, in fairness to Dingle, the town, when you go in there, there are plenty of, you know, there's plenty of internet coverage on your phone. You've got 4G and everything else. It's not so much the town that's the problem. It's where we were staying, right. which was about a 10 or 15 minute drive outside of town, uh, sort of down a lane and on the side of a mountain where there was literally no internet whatsoever, not even any phone signal. You couldn't like get a phone call. So I didn't really see very much of it. I saw a couple of highlights. Um, Canu seemed to do well. Did you did you watch it? I or did you saw go? the highlights right. as well. No, I wasn't there. I was with Dave the Dog, and I, uh, <laughs> I, I was delight. I was delighted to see Carnu. I mean, Carnu looks younger than when he retired. To be honest, um, <laughs> he's obviously been chilling out, relaxing. He's still in good shape, um, and yeah, I mean, looks it's great to see some familiar faces there. I thought it was obviously a bit of a shame that it was a Legends game and no Dennis Burkamp or Thierry Henry. That's a big blow, isn't it, to your lineup? Yeah, but. But uh, nevertheless, some stellar names on show. Um, Seagan, Justin Hoyt, Lewis Bowen-Warte. Uh, all, all the big guys. Yeah. All, the, all the big guns are there. But uh, I tell you what, that Milan side was pretty tasty. I don't know if you saw their lineup. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I saw Philippe Auclair tweeting it out um, that afternoon. Yeah, I mean, look, some amazing names. And it looked like it was good fun. Um, you know, Have you so, seen Pires' goal? Uh, I did see it, yeah. I did see a, it. A, Tip, very typical finish, I thought, from Super Bob. Yeah, it was. Swept it home. At the back post, getting onto a Jumberg, a Jumberg cross. Um, yeah, the big I mean, question is, though, what, what do you make of Robert Pierce's decision to copy your hairstyle? Well, <laughs> my head is no longer shaved. Um, ah. Yeah, I, I've got sort of hair. I used to shave it all off, but I do, you know, have some hair. It's thinning out, of course, uh, sure, due, sure. To, due to age. And you know, look, you know, you know oh, yourself. You don't need to tell me. <laughs> uh, <I know. laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do wonder why he, he... Are you thinking he, of shaving it again now that he has to be more like your idol? Um, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know if it suits him, but sometimes it takes a while to get used to, uh, to, get used to a new look, right? Maybe that's yes. all it is. Maybe he just, you know, feels like, you know, being a bit open top for a while. Um, it doesn't change my view of Robert Perez or or how dreamy he is. Absolutely not. 
Still so, the swooniest of all, oh, of all yeah. former players. Oh, yeah, you know. And he looked like he was having a good time. I uh, saw some of the pictures. Did you see the picture Jens Lehmann posted in the of the dressing room? Yeah. Yeah, you know. So it was good. Uh, you know, I'm sure it was a fun day out. And, uh, you know, it's always quite funny to see older men um, trying to run. I know yeah. this, you know, from again, football I, myself. We, again, we don't need to sit <laughs> We know this. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I thought it was a, a grand. It looked like a grand old day. I was sorry not to be there, and uh, plenty of money raised, I'm sure. Yes, I think a million pounds to build uh, football pitches uh, for the Arsenal Foundation. So that's uh, that's a fantastic piece of work as well. Did you see the uh, Winterburn Decanio thing? Yeah, that was great. As well. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, um, I enjoyed that. I do, it is nice seeing some of those uh, faces again. It's curious as well which players actually impressed. I mean, from the highlights that I saw and the reports that I had, Pascal Sigan actually one of the more impressive players on show. Um, still looking after himself, it seems. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't look much older either. No, to be fair, he looks almost identical. Yeah. Uh, Wouldn't it have they... been amazing if, when Robert Pires came out with a totally shaved head, Pascal Sian, imagine if he came out with hair like Valderrama. Yes, well, that would be good. massive, big, curly, like, mop of hair. That would have been amazing. Everyone would go, who's that guy? It's Pascal Seeger. No way. <laughs> that would have been enjoyable. Yeah. I would have liked that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, well, I thought it was uh, it was a bit of fun, wasn't it? A bit of fun. bit of fun. Okay. Here's one that's maybe not so much fun. I don't know if you've seen oh. the story uh, over the weekend, but referee Mark Halsey saying that mm. he had been told by uh, refereeing officials to say that he hadn't seen something that he had seen and was happy enough with the decision that he made. So, uh, oh shit, why do I always pick the ones with difficult names? Samrid Zucci at Samrij. He wants to know thoughts on the Mark Halsey tweet on being asked to overlook key moments. Is there, James, a huge refereeing conspiracy? What's going on? Well, actually, I've been, I was reading up on it this morning and actually he, he went public with this in his book few years ago oh did he yeah but nobody read it i suspect <laughs> <laughs> um i think it was written by ian ridley i want to say is that is that a right a, yeah ian ridley who um i think wrote tony adams's book with him i think he's an arsenal fan ian ridley but he um uh wrote a book with mark halsey that included this kind of you know uh confession and he's since gone public with it again and I, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, actually. I, I know it's obviously, it's kind of explosive and difficult and brings into integrity the, sorry, brings into question the integrity of officials and the FA, but it doesn't surprise me because the rule is so bloody infuriating and stupid. This idea of, you know, if the referee's seen it, you can't possibly prosecute it and he has to have not seen it to do it. Yeah. I just think they need to do away with that element of proceedings and be able to go back and do something on video evidence irrespective of uh, the referee's precise view of it at yeah, that time. exactly. As if, like, oh, well, the referee's seen it, but you know what he hasn't seen? He hasn't seen it from five different angles. Slow motion, In slow yeah. motion, you know, which obviously can make a difference um, to, to your interpretation of something because you could look at something. It's like uh, the old cinema punches, isn't it? Mm. You know, it's the camera <laughs> yeah. angle. You're looking at it, and the guy punches, and you're thinking, oh, God, he's hit him. But, of course, he hasn't. It's all camera angles. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's uh, – I think if it opens up a discussion about this, then then that's a good thing because it is a really, really stupid rule and one that needs to be done away with. The bigger question, of course, is 
who's telling him to overlook or to say that he hasn't seen it and for what reason what is the what is the 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 grand design behind that i mean some will say well it's a conspiracy this that, and the other i just wonder if the the match officials or the um you know that 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 body that looks after the match officials are far too invested in the the perceived authority of the referees that that they feel like anything that undermines the referees or goes against what the referee initially said somehow undermines their authority on the pitch. You know, whereas I feel that players uh, and fans certainly would be much more understanding of referees making decisions that were wrong if those decisions could be retrospectively looked at and corrected. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't understand why there's this reluctance to do the right thing for the sake of some perceived authority. I think everybody would understand if a referee hasn't seen something in the heat of the moment or if his back is slightly turned or if he's only seen it out of the corner of his eye. You know, you can, you can understand that. So I just wonder if it's a bit more to do with them protecting themselves as a body rather than some big, massive conspiracy to help some unnamed beneficiary does that make sense yeah i think there are a lot of conspiracy theories around this area and you know it favors this club favors that club and things like that i think that's nonsense i think what it is is that uh, their concern is that they don't want to re-referee games isn't it they don't want to they don't want to go through every decision and call everything into question um I wonder if maybe the best way is some sort of appeal system whereby uh, the club who are the victims of a decision can lodge an appeal or a certain number of appeals you know, per game or something like that, yeah. and then those incidents are looked at on video replay. Uh, there must be a way of doing it because the, the current way seems illogical and a bit backward, to be honest. So if, if this calls, you know, calls up a debate around that, then... So be it. I, I agree with you. It's probably a good thing. All right. Okay. Have you got one more? Yeah, I've got one more. Let's have a look. Okay. Uh, this one's from at only one Erzil, who's called Gab, and they ask: uh, Should Mustafi be implemented immediately? I like that implemented, like he's some sort of robot. Yes, implement or, Mustafi at once. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or should holding be continued as a reward for his form? It's a good question. I mean, I think when you spend £35 million on a centre-half, you are going to play him. He's going to become first choice. Simple as that. You don't spend that much money on a backup. Where it might just get a little bit interesting is for the next game against Southampton because... He'll have barely trained with us, right? Yeah, exactly. He'll only be coming in, uh, whereas Lucas Perez has has been there. um, He hasn't been on international duty uh, and will have integrated slightly. I do wonder if for the first game, Arsene Wenger might have something to think about. I think uh, he probably will play Mustafi against Southampton. Um, but certainly in the long term, implement Mustafi, you know, pretty much straight away. I think <laughs> implement that's Implement Mustafi. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Old. Steve. Steve, are you there? Yes. Yeah. Implement Mustafi right away. It is time. It is time. (laughs) We must implement him before it's too late. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, that's what we're all saying at the start of August. And no one's listening. Yeah. Um, Well, it's interesting because Shaka, of course, uh, didn't play the first game. He was not implemented. He was not implemented, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And 
did we maybe pay for that a little bit? I don't know. I mean, we it's, we didn't necessarily win that midfield battle, did we, against Liverpool? Um, <laughs> no, we didn't. So, so I wonder if maybe Arsenal's learned this lesson. I think I expect Mustafi to be implemented, partly as well, because I think as well as holdings done, you don't want to get carried away with that and overexpose him. I think that he's in a good position now where he's come in and performed and I think if you've got an opportunity to take him out the side, give him a few games with the under-21s, it means that when you do come back to him, be that in the League Cup or if he's required through injury, you know, he, he comes into that in a good position. I, I think uh, he's done really well. Yeah. But when you've got a German international who is fit, despite a slight injury scare in the first friendly a few days ago, um, I think you'd be madness not to, to call upon him instead. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. Final one then for me, because this has been a long podcast. Jairo mm-hmm. uh, A. Jaramillo wants to know, forget the strikers, more midfield goals required. Who do you reckon will be the top midfield goal scorer? Ooh. So, who are we counting in that? That's my first question. Okay. Uh, Xhaka, Coquelin, <laughs> um, uh, Cazorla, Ramsey, um, Elmeni, Mesut Ozil. Okay, so we're not counting the likes of Chamberlain, Walcott, Alexis. They're going with with the forwards. Um, yeah, I'm guessing, you know... Yeah, I think yeah, that's fair. They're, they're, they're part of the front three, even though ostensibly they're, like, listed as midfielders, you know, as part of a, uh, you know, a five-man yeah. midfield, whatever it might be. But, yeah, I, I think... And Iwobi, is he loved I would, I would say... I would say Oxley Chamberlain is probably more a midfielder than than a forward. Whereas sure. Walcott is definitely more of a forward than a midfielder. Iwobi Iwobi straddles Iwobi that line a bit, doesn't he? Yeah, because yeah. he plays in the in the Ozil role a little bit. Yeah. Well look, I think I think Iwobi will score goals. He's been very prolific in preseason. I think uh it'd be great, you know, if he could get five to ten goals this season. I think that's realistic. Because um, I think he'll get plenty of games. I think Arsenal's a massive, massive fan of his. Um, but the two it's between for me are Aaron Ramsey and Meza Ozil. Yeah. And I'm really hopeful that Ozil will score some goals this season. I was obviously very encouraged by what he did against Watford, but he does get he does. Last season we saw him get into decent positions quite frequently, and his finishing probably wasn't quite up to the standard it should be. But if he can. If he can put those chances away, I actually fancy that as a number ten. I think Özil might be uh, mm. the top midfield scorer. I think I might go with him. I'm going to stick my neck out and say yep. Özil. Yep. What about you? Yeah, same, same. Uh, you know, I think Ramsey will score goals for sure, uh, but I think Özil this season, the desire that he showed to get on the end of that Alexis cross uh, shows that he he really wants to make a mark uh, from a goal scoring point of view as well. It's interesting again to hear Arsene Wenger talk about how he expects more uh, from Ozil in in that regard in terms of how many goals that he scores this season. So I'd like to see him get into double figures. I think he's more than capable of doing that, and uh, he would be he would be my choice. Yeah, mm. for for uh, for the top. Uh, goal scoring midfield. Implement goal scoring midfielder Ozil straight away. Just not not via penalties, I imagine. No, no. <laughs> no. We do have good penalty takers. Though. Santi Cazorla is a very good penalty taker. Olivier yeah. Giroud, an excellent penalty taker as well. Um, and there are others, I think. Obviously, Walcott is on the list. Um, I, I presume because he's shown in training that he's good at scoring penalties, even if the one he took against uh, Liverpool was, was shite. 
Um, so yeah. Lucas Perez took penalties for Deportivo last Did he, season. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, good to have that bit of variety, bit of choice. So That's yeah, it. but still, I'm going to go with Mesut Ozil. So. Me so too. there you go. There we go. All right, look, we're going to leave it there. Thank you as ever for all the questions. Sorry we can't get to uh, all of them, but there are so many. But we uh, we do appreciate you sending them in. Um, thanks so much for listening. I'll be back with an Arscast on Friday. We'll be uh, previewing the Southampton game uh, coming up this weekend. The possible uh, new arrivals into the team. Uh, the new boys, mm. Mustafi and Perez. Uh, could play their first uh, part for Arsenal, so that'll be interesting. And, uh, of course, we'll be here next Monday uh, to talk all about that. So until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.